You're listening to the City World Radio Network. High-definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world. www.cityworldradio.com Welcome to Mork Mom Moments, a great night, a great guest, a great co-host, and we're just thrilled to have everyone here tonight. For those of you joining us again, thank you and welcome back. For those of you new to the show, I'll give you a very quick rundown of what you've gotten yourself into. My name is Kathleen Smith. Um, I founded Morph Mom, which is M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com. About six years ago, um, a former prosecutor stopped to have my kids, couldn't figure out what to do when I wanted to go back to work. And rather than reinvent the wheel, I started interviewing women around the country to see what they had done. 
because I had no idea where to begin. And one thing led to another, and we have over 800 interviews from all over the country of women sharing their journeys and their stories and the steps they took to take their next step. Um, started to share the stories on Huffington Post and wrote um, many articles there, again, sharing the stories. Uh, we host classes. We host conferences. We host cocktail parties around the country, joining these women and forming a community to support one another. And now we have the radio show, which is live every Thursday night. One quick um, <laughs> shameless promotional thing, though, is on October 22nd, on Monday, October 22nd, during the day from 10 to 2.30, we're hosting our next conference. It's in Ridgewood, New Jersey. And anyone local, please join us. They're really fun. They're really exciting. And our speakers, they're informative. You really will, you'll go away with friends and you'll go away with just hearing from the most wonderful, gracious, and generous women who share their stories. And to find out about that, you can go to morefun.com, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com, and sign up there. But without further ado, and without more about me, welcome to my co-host tonight, Seema McGrath. Hello. (laughs) And welcome to our amazing, amazing guest, and I'm so fascinated about the topic we're about to cover. Bruce Nagy, it's a thrill to have you on tonight. Bruce is the author of over 150 feature articles on clean technology, government programming, and energy economics. He's a speaker in Al Gore's Climate Reality Project, and most recently, he's the author of The Clean Energy Age, A Guide to Beating Climate Change. Bruce, welcome, and it's an honor and thrill to have you on the show. Oh, the honor is mine. Thank you for having me. This is such a... It's funny, because when we we were looking at the topic, we're thinking, where do we begin? And it's just so big and so scary and so overwhelming, just the entire topic of climate change and how this affects everything that we do and, and where do you begin? So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became involved with climate change and how you ended up writing this book. Okay. Uh, well, that's a, that's a good introduction because my story is not different than a lot of people today, I think. Um, I, was, uh, I grew up in a family where, you know, it was a, a value to be useful. So I always wanted to do something with practical matters. And I didn't really realize that until I started getting into clean energy. But how did I get into clean energy was that I was like many people. I was doing the rat race. I was an advertising agency guy. And I was, you know, pursuing the American dream and just run, run, run. And uh, then I became a dad. And, um, you know, like many people, that caused a certain amount of introspection. And then one day I was railing at the television like some of us do, and saying, why can't these politicians get pollution under control? And my little five-year-old son looked up at me with the innocent eyes and said, but we're different, Dad, aren't we? We're, we're doing something. Aww, <laughs> that cute. gave me a kind of a pause because I wasn't really doing much <laughs> at that point. Well, and what made so you think I think, Yeah, so I, I changed my career uh, because... You know, the back story is that when I was 15 years old, uh, I wasn't happy with the world, and I jumped off a building, and I hoped that I would die at the time, but by some miracle, I didn't, okay? So I never wanted my son 
to have to think about the world like that, where it wasn't worth living in. I wanted to see if I could help prevent that. At that young age, you were already, at such a young age, you were already that conscientious and and aware? Well, I I don't want you to connect that to environmentalism because it wasn't about environmentalism. I had other reasons for not wanting to live in the world. (laughs) But anyway, uh, it connects only because I never wanted him to have that, you know, that dread of going another day, okay? Mm -hmm. And... um, so then uh, I started writing the articles, and I started to discover that just like this, the high level of consensus among scientists about the climate science, there is also a very high level of consensus among engineers, architects, government program designers, all of those people about the pre- best practices and the solutions that we have, and that, and that these solutions are not new, a lot of them. A lot of them are well-proven. They're new to people. They're new to some people, but many of them are well-proven. A lot of them originated in Europe where it's expensive for energy. And um, the, and, and I discovered that um, the three areas where this high level of consensus seems to lie are in buildings, vehicles, and power plants. And coincidentally or fortunately, those are the highest emitters. I guess you could say unfortunately. They're the, uh, the highest emitters. They, though, between the three of them, they, they, we emit about 70% or 75% of our emissions. Almost every country is the same in the world. Um, and so, and, and not only that, driving an electric car or fixing your building is a highly visible example for your neighbors. So I focus on those three areas, and that took me to the book, and the book is filled with top ten lists. So the top ten lists are there for, there's one for a homeowner, there's one for a business person, there's one for uh, an investor, there's one for a, a government person, there's an urban planner, teacher, media people, there's one for a media person. So, you know, now you have a place to start. And I think a lot of people are going, well, I want to I wanna do something. But I'm a little confused because there's a lot of information in the information. Right. Right. And and where do you begin? Like, it's just so overwhelming, starting from the top. Where? But I I think your lists are genius because at least it gives someone an action. It it gives someone some sort of an active step to then take. Yeah, and they're not my lists. I think you have to say that they're the, uh, the list of the 700 experts that I've interviewed over the last 16 or 17 But your years, compilation, but you're sharing those yeah, and allowing yeah. people access. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the other thing about the list is you don't have to use the whole 10 things. You know, just start at the top and do a few of them because the most important ones are at the top, right? And, or if you don't like the list, maybe you're a technical guy yourself and you think it's all wrong, rewrite it. I don't care. The point is having <laughs> a plan, right? <laughs> Bruce, just to backtrack, Exactly what about you that your son thought you were different? Getting back to I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he had to I guess somebody. every son likes his dad for a while. I think he still oh. likes me, which is surprising, <laughs> because some of his friends don't like their parents, but I think we still <laughs> <do>. <laughs> That's funny. 
funny. He's he's a real smart kid. He's in uh, McGill. Uh, he's graduate. He just oh, graduated, God. and uh, he speaks a bunch of languages. And he's studying Mandarin, and he's going to travel to China. And How old is he? He's twenty-two right now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. wow. Is he as interested now or involved with climate change um, as you are? Actually, no. He's not that much of a... He, of course, he's sympathetic. Everybody of his age group is... is yeah. They just assume that we would have to be morons not to support it, right? <laughs> In that age group. You know, but he's not like an active guy. I think he's sort of carving out his path, and I'm, you know, so... But, yeah. Okay. So, when you began this transition, so you said you were in advertising and you, you sort of became aware, and, you know, with children and realizing we've got to make this world better for our kids and our grandkids and for future generations. What was the first step you took? So with people thinking, I'd love to, you know, switch into, what was your first? Well, the first thing was, and it wasn't easy because I had to, you know, I, you know, I had to make a living, right? Uh, so I just graduated. I just, I just took on more. Uh, I, I started doing freelance journalism on the side while I still had my advertising agency job, right? I was the creative director there, so I had a little bit of freedom. But uh, so you know, I just started taking on. I got really busy, and eventually, it was enough that I just stopped because now. I still do some commercial work, but now I choose my clients. So now I'll write for the Friends of the Earth or I'll write for, you know, the Solar Association or the Wind Power people or, you know what I mean? So when you start going into this and you, you said there were, there were certain areas or arenas that you sort of dedicated yourself to, including the solar, the electric cars, when you started investigating and researching all of these different areas, which one are you, if there is one, are you most drawn to? Or do you think makes oh, well, the biggest... Well, the biggest problem we have are buildings. Buildings, mm -hmm. they, they have the double whammy, uh, if, especially if they're in a northern place. You're in New York, right? Like New York or Toronto? Yeah. Uh, it's cold, right? So they have the double whammy because you have a furnace, and the furnace is, is using fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. And also you may be using some electricity that comes from a power plant that may be using coal or gas to generate that electricity. So the buildings are a big, you know, it could be as high as, you know, 50 or 60 percent of our problem, depending on how you calculate it. The International Energy Agency does things their way, and then there are a bunch of other uh, bodies that calculate things their way. But you can say that roughly buildings by themselves are 25%, but then there's an overlap with the power plants, which are another 20%. So there's some, it's some murky waters there, and there's another category that's industrial that only sometimes includes buildings. But buildings are the main place, and homes are a big part of that. And we need to we need to fix our homes because one of the problems with buildings is we only replace three percent of them in a given year, which means ninety seven percent of them are standing there still polluting. So the new construction within a dozen or fifteen years, that's gonna be taken care of because pretty much all the states and all the city governments have started to really green their building codes, and they're all heading towards net zero. They're all heading towards passive house standard, right? And and while we're on the topic of, of state governments, I want to say that, you know, the news at the national level scares us a lot. It scares us because there's storms and fires and floods, but it also scares us because of the silly political stuff that goes on. 
But actually, at the state and city level, things are pretty good because they seem to be pretty inspired and they're moving in the right directions. But going back to buildings, that 97%, we have to fix the retro, we have to retrofit our existing homes and our existing business buildings, and we need government help for that because some of these projects are very expensive. But I'm not a proponent of too much free money. I'm more a proponent of governments finding ways to set up funding, you know, financing. And, you know, you can pay it back because most of the clean energy pays for itself. It all basically pays for itself, but it's, a, it's more like a marathon than a sprint. So it, takes, it pays for itself in about a third of the number of years of the life of the equipment. So... So for people listening out there and, and wanting to start small or trying to with their homes, what's a good, so I guess, you know, solar paneling for energy, for, what's a good start? Okay, I'm glad you asked that because I, I started talking about solar panels and I started talking about the big systems. And, and those are the ones that can make a, a real big impact, but they also cost a fortune, right? So one of the, thing, one of the things that all the experts told me is don't start there. Start with your building envelope uh, because you, if you do your building envelope properly, you may or may not need these big geothermal or, or solar systems. Uh, because, you know, we can put a man on the moon. Why can't we build a well-sealed house? Well, we can't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Called... I'm sorry. Excuse me. Could you explain building envelope? A building envelope is just exactly what it sounds. It's like whether the building is leaking energy all over the place. So if it's not insulated, it's got a, it's got a weaker mm -hmm. building envelope. If it has really poor windows that are either thin and mm -hmm. pain or they have cracks all around them, and that's your building envelope. It's leaking energy out. So, you know, you could have a huge furnace, and it's pumping out all kinds of heat, and it's all going right out the window. It's like having your windows open. Uh, the experts have told me that, you know, most of the buildings that we've built in, in uh, North America in the last 30, 40 years are leaking so badly, it's like having a hole in the wall the size of a beach ball. Oh, wow. So, you know, you want to fix your windows. Now, and windows can be expensive, too. Don't get me wrong. Those triple oh, pane really good ones. But sealing around them is just as important. And oh. here's the key. Here's the important thing. The important thing that I was starting out to say is you can, we should be able to build a well-sealed building, and we are. Thousands of developers have gotten past the pilot stage now, and they're starting to actually build subdivisions of passive house. Passive house and net zero house are very similar. Passive house means it's thick walls, and it's these windows that I have just mentioned, and, you know, very well-sealed building. And the point about it is that it uses 80 to 90% less energy than what we live in now. 80 to 90%. Wow. So the reduction in your energy bill would be not just noticeable, but pretty astounding. It would be astounding. It is astounding on the ones that have been built. And, in fact, they don't have furnaces. Even in a north place really? like Toronto, where I come from, there's no furnace. And it, even in a southern place like Texas, you don't need a big, huge cooling system because they're so well sealed that they just have little tiny uh, appliances, heat pumps and stuff, heating them and cooling them. And, like, down in uh, New Orleans, Brad Pitt, when, the, when Katrina wiped out all those families in the Ninth Ward, well, not the families, but their homes, uh, he wanted it to be affordable, so he hired a bunch of architects, and they designed green homes. 
and those green homes are really well sealed. And he put some solar panels on the roof, but he put these little tiny uh, cooling systems in that didn't need much because the buildings were really well sealed. And he also made sure that they were as affordable as anything. And, you know, I always tell this story about Brad Pitt when I think of um, clean energy not only saving people money but and helping the planet, but it also uh, it raised the spirit in the ninth floor. I went down there. It used to be one of the poorest places on the planet and lots of, you know, addiction and other problems. And then all of a sudden when I got there, there were these beautiful new houses that Brad Pitt built. And on the front lawns were these little, you know, those little library things. Yeah. And, I always think of that as being in an affluent neighborhood, right? But it was, they had them, and the reason was because they were all excited, and they were joining the oh, local committee, sweet. and they were building playgrounds together, and they were they were they had decided they they're going to turn the corner here. This is a chance, right? And uh, and but they they bought those houses and they paid back their loans. Right. I mean, they, I mean, Pitt used his name to get funding deals and stuff, right? But right. mostly it was good self-esteem. So you really don't need a furnace or a cooling system? Oh, no, you don't actually need it, but it's, it, it's you know, it's not a small undertaking. None of this stuff is a small undertaking. It's, you know, it, all of it, you have to have a certain amount of commitment as a homeowner. And, but it, we also have to realize we're in a different world now. We had the IPCC announcement this week that said, you know, you might have 12 years. And I don't know whether it's 12 years or not. It doesn't matter. What matters is we're out of time. And the other thing that matters is we environmentalists, people like me, we have to be careful how we talk about this. We have to talk about it in terms of money saving. We have to get people engaged yeah. because, um, the, you know, you can strap yourself to a pipeline if you want. But if you have an SUV in your driveway and a gas furnace in your basement, that's kind of contradictory, right? Mm -hmm. So it really starts with us voting with our wallets in a way, right? And it, but also voting at the ballot box because you're not going to change the power plants without changing the government sometimes, right? And, you know, but fortunately with the power plants, the good thing with power plants is that the investors are walking away from coal and gas anyway because they're too expensive. Wind and solar is cheap now, along with storage and smart grid. So that's good. But, uh, yeah, we have to realize that we are the government. We are the corporations. You know, it's easy to blame them, if you know, to say, oh, they're going to do more. But really, if we vote with our wallets, that, dra that drags them into it. And, and that takes you, us also to the topic you wanted to talk about, which is electric cars. Because America <laughs> is voting with its wallet right now, um, and 300,000 electrics have been sold in the, in the U.S. this That's year. Fantastic. I'm really excited. Yeah. So, so, so with electric cars, and I think we just, we really were just talking to somebody about this prior to the show, and I, I didn't even realize how exciting this entire prospect is of, of electric cars and what, what will happen in the next year, 10 years, 20 years with electric yeah. cars. It um, really is, and, 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 and I think there, even the, like the car companies are sort of mixed, right? Detroit is dragging its feet a bit, which is funny because they have one of the best electric cars, uh, the Chevy Bolt. 
It's one of the very best, and um, it was selling like crazy with no advertising. And they still uh, haven't. It's a, a female CEO. I forget her name, but she's really good. But she's uh, kept saying, uh, "We're gonna, we're gonna add production. We're gonna add production." But they've been dragging their feet. I think it's because they they have to get their whole dealer system and service system sort of lined up and they're afraid that they're going to get crunched plus it's a it's they're still electric cars still don't make a ton of money for the manufacturers they've invested billions in developing them so they're releasing a, a lot of models right now and as i say they're selling like crazy 1.5 million uh, vehicles in the world this year okay given uh, that why do electric cars cost less they cost more, but they, but they, in some locations, the governments give us grants. But uh, I'll tell you one thing: they cost a lot less to operate. And, yeah, and if, you know, like if you, if you, um, I guess if you have a car, the average length of time that an American has a car, you're going to save about twenty thousand dollars in gas over that period. Because you know, most people buy their car uh, on time, and they pay a few, couple, two or three hundred dollars for the payments to own the car, and then they pay another two or $300 to put gas in it every month, right? Mm -hmm. And right. That, that gas, you can cut 75% of that off because you're only going to pay about a quarter of that for your electricity bill on, to, to charge that car. So, so what would, like, the normal, like, I guess it's pretty common, depending on the car, what would your sort of bill be per month for charging the car? Well, say you're spending, say you would normally spend $200 for gas, you'll, it'll be like less than 50. Most people said 30. But, you know, we use the number 25%, but the EV societies, electric vehicle societies that I belong to, they're saying, oh, I'm paying $30 a month and I used to pay 300 So, you know, there's, I don't want to exaggerate anything either. I don't want, you know, right. but it's, you know, if you use 25%, you're safe. It's less than 25%. And then on top of that, right, there are tax incentives to do it, and then even certain instances where maybe easy pass or tolls are a little bit less if you're using. Is that true? Oh, there are all kinds of grants, and they vary from state to state. And, and also you have the U.S. You know, federal 30% uh, tax credit. Now, I don't want to get too promissory here because some <laughs> of these things are ending, Especially at the national level, or they're being reduced or phased out. So, but you, the, thing, the key is to go and look it up, right? Look it up. Look up what your your, your state government or your city is offering. Yeah. How, uh, how prevalent are the charging stations? Oh, they're all over the place now. They're adding thousands and thousands of them, like crazy. Like if you buy a Tesla, they have enough already to drive anywhere. Right. If you right. buy the other kind, then it's it's growing and growing. Uh, I can speak in my own province in Canada. They just put in about 222 of them, and it's about. This, I think we're about. We're a little bigger geographically than New York State, but not much, right? So that's a lot of stations because because the average range now are longer too on these vehicles. You, you know, the Teslas are getting two or three hundred miles, and the oh. smaller ones like the Leaf, the 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 the, the Nissan Leaf. I think it's still up close to 200 miles it's it's less than but that's on that's on a full charge 
the thing about the charging is that people worried about that early on, but they're worrying about it less because they've learned some things. First of all, they've learned that the range is getting longer. Mm. Secondly, um, it's going to continue to get longer because everybody's competing in the all the car all the car companies are are introducing electrics now, so they're competing like crazy, and they're the battery cost is coming down. They're mm. innovating mm. like crazy. But the other thing is that eighty to ninety percent of the charging happens at home while you're sleeping. So you wake up with a, quote, full tank, unquote, right? It's just like plugging in your phone. You get used to it really quickly. And, uh, and, and so like, it's not that difficult with all the charging stations all over. Right now, if you get stuck in, on the highway because you screwed up, and yeah. <laughs> if you happen to own a Tesla, they'll come out and get you. Now, I don't think that's going to last forever, but that's, you know, they're trying to... <laughs> Right. Well, quick question um, for one of our listeners. Uh, um, what about the quality of the battery? Well, they're now they're warranted. <laughs> pretty much all the manufacturers are warranting them for eight years. And the last report I read, it hardly lost anything. It lost less than ten percent after eleven years. Okay, so there's and 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 what happens with the batteries? Uh, after 11 years, if you replace them, is you can use them for a home battery in your basement with your solar panels. <laughs> you so you can keep, you can actually keep the battery from the original car and yeah. repurpose it. Yeah, they're doing it. Yeah, people wow. have already done it because electric cars have been around for eight or nine years. Yeah, people have already yeah. done it. Uh, and the, yeah, and the and and the and some of the uh, some of the fleets. Uh, have already um, they've already run their vehicles thousands of miles. The 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 thing about fleets like Coca Cola and Frito Lay and UPS and you know the delivery companies, they're all going electric too. Like New York City has 389 pure electric cars in its vehicle fleet, just taking care of you know inspections and everything. But New York City is fantastic. They have the solar park port. It looks like a little garage, but it's just a little solar panel. They park them in there, right? And but the, when you talk to the fleet managers, they say, "Well, first of all, we're saving tons of fuel. Second of all, we're saving 50% on maintenance because there's only 25 moving parts in an electric vehicle, and there's 2,000 in an internal combustion engine. And th- and third of all, they they run their vehicles way more than a than a regular person." So they're running a fleet vehicle goes maybe three hundred thousand kilometers or miles, right? And uh, and and that me and that they're saving eighty ninety thousand dollars over the life of the vehicle on fuel. Wow. So you know this a lot of this news sounds shocking, but and and the reason that you don't hear much about it is because uh, we have in the media. We always try to tell the other side, and we're kind of losing the war to the lobbyists, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so with those cars, they're not autonomous. So they're, they have, they're still human drivers behind the wheel in those? Oh, yes. Even the all the talk about autonomous vehicles, pretty much every state and every city requires you to still have a human there because they're just scared still. They're just not. Yeah, the funny yeah. thing is that they've proven that they're safe, the autonomous Self-driving vehicles are safer than we are. We're we're bad drivers compared <laughs> to the could you, could you elaborate on the safety of um, electric Oh cars? well, the Tesla just 
uh, was established as the safest car in America. They did those crash tests, a whole yeah. bunch of them, and they're the safest cars in America. I mean, you know, like, I, I, I know I sound like a, a real cheerleader here, but the fact is, this is a better product. It's future. It's progress. It's future. It's, you know, it's not. It's not. I, I'm not making this stuff up. This is like this is the real thing. And and I guess it's not beca just because it's an electric car. It's also because it's a modern car, right? Right. And they're building in all this new stuff, right? <laughs> so we 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 mentioned before that um, we've been having this conversation with someone who actually has a Tesla, has a, I think a model. Mm -hmm. Model, model three. Model that's two. the one that, that yeah. is going to be thirty-eight thousand dollars pretty soon, and everybody can buy one. Is it really? It's beautiful. Well, it's the Tesla Model Three. Yeah. Well, they started off saying we're going to build a thirty-eight thousand dollar car, but you know, Elon Musk, the wacky guy, I think you all heard of him. Yeah. They, he's trying to keep it profitable up there, uh, over there in California. So he's been uh, making the fancy schmancy model three uh, the performance features, and he's selling it for fifty thousand or sixty thousand. <laughs> but he has half a million orders in hand, and a lot of them are for the thirty-eight thousand dollar model. So people are waiting for their chance to get the one that they can afford. Right. So will these have? Well, I guess you're saying they do have a bit of autonomy when you're in the car, but they can they can self-drive. But one of the questions was, and I thought this was actually terrifying and fascinating at the same time. <laughs> Me more, too. More, more, here it comes. More, I guess, of like the ethical question. So if you're relying on these cars, and I don't know if it's there yet or if it's about to be there, the technology of you know the car sort of deciding. Yeah. I've got a, there's an accident ahead, I've got to veer right, veer left. What goes into that and the ethical sort of decision-making in that when when that car, that electric car, sort of autonomously decides to avoid the accident, it's going to go towards the wall or it's going to go towards the, you know, oncoming traffic? Like, what goes into that part of it? Well, I... You know, I bet you there will be some, and there already has been a couple of accidents that they, you know, the naysayers blamed on all kinds of things. Uh, but here's how it works. It has a lot of sensors all around it yeah. uh, that are like human eyes. It would be like having a hundred eyes, okay? I might be exaggerating. I don't even know how many sensors. <laughs> it has sensors on all sides, Okay. And it also has a big, bad computer in there, right? And the big, bad computer doesn't let the car speed. It doesn't let the car drive in a dangerous fashion where it wouldn't be able to stop in time, right? It's calculating everything all the time with the precision of a computer, not with the emotionality of a human. Right, <laughs> right. right. And so it mostly doesn't veer off to the side. It just stops, right? So, because it's got enough, it leaves enough space in front of it, unlike us, right? right. <laughs> we don't leave enough space in front of us, right? So it, you know, it just stops in time. It just, and they do, they do start and stop quicker. Because well, what is the ethical debate out there about self-driving cars? Well, I don't. I'm not aware of an ethical one. Ex what, what, I'm not. Can you elaborate? No. Well, <laughs> and what he was mentioning was that. sort of like, you know, if there is, if it results, how in it, it, if it results in something bad. So let's say there wasn't time. Although normally it would have time to, you know, it, it anticipates much better than we do. 
And so it allows for time to stop, but in an instance where there may not be time. And it, how should the car decide who to protect, the or driver or... or... Right. right. Does, can the driver then sort of jump in and take control of the car? Well, that's the theory right now, but uh, to be honest, I doubt, uh, my personal opinion, I doubt if the driver, the human driver would do a better job than the computer. But anyway, I'll go go on and give you an example. If if another car jumped right out and came right across and jumped right out in front of the car, that there's probably going to be a crash. Or if a passenger ran out in front of the car, there's probably going to be a death. But it's no different than... A human, know what I mean? Right, 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 exactly. So you know, the naysayers have said all kinds of things, but the, the facts of the matter is, show they're actually safer. And 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 the and and I think our 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 governments are are like you and I. We're, we're the whole idea scares the hell out of us. And uh, so that's why they have said, well, you still have to have a real human person sitting in that driver's seat just in case he has to push the button and take over, right? Right. Uh, Bruce, this is maybe a silly question, but what about, like, during a thunderstorm, like electrical uh, strikes and even flooding, like going through huge puddles? Like, how does – it's an electric car. It's got a battery. So how right. does that work? Uh, well, I think it's pretty well sealed, but I don't know the answer to your question. I would think that you wouldn't want to drive through four feet of water in any kind of car. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, people do. So I, I, you know what? That's a good question. I've never been asked that one before and I've never asked that question either. Maybe just don't do it. Yeah, don't <laughs> yeah. Do it. I, that's my advice: is stay home if the water's but, deep. You know, <laughs> no, but how about electric storms and lightning? If you're driving, if you're, you're driving. Out, well, you're on rubber tires. I mean, that okay. yeah, cars aren't bad that. places to be. They're grounded, yeah. right? That's true. We did say that. Yeah. 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 So this is such a fascinating world. And again, I don't know much about it. We just went out and actually, I saw my first one today. Um, but how about with kids, like teaching kids to drive? Um, is there any, are they using the electric cars with kids now to, to learn to drive? Are they encouraging that? Well, I think that the younger generation isn't that interested in car ownership. I think yeah, all true. of the all of the information I'm getting from all of the marketing people is, that they're they're Ubering it. They're they're you know they're taking an Uber. And that, now that brings me to a, an important point. Like your city government, what you should be supporting uh, with your city government is investment in transit. And a lot of these autonomous vehicles, I think, are and and there are different kinds of vehicles springing up too. You know, it's not just a car and a bus and a, you know and a streetcar right. and a train. There are all kinds of different kinds of uh, uh, different configurations now. And I don't know if I'm sure in in New York they probably have the disabled uh, buses that come right to the person's home and pick the person up, right? And um, those are in in my city. Those are an extension of the transit system. They're actually operated by the same the transit system, right? And and I think that that's going to actually happen in many cities with autonomous vehicles and different configurations of vehicles, where I think people will. First of all, demand continued continuing greater convenience. Come and get me at my house, 
and right. it will connect you down to the train. It'll take you to the train. It'll take you know, and I think um, it'll also, unlike emotional drivers, it'll do the Uber pool thing where it'll it'll pick up a bunch of people, right? So it'll be a van, right? And it'll pick up a lot of people, and it'll figure out on the computer the right route, and you know, it's the most efficient way to get everybody to the train on time. And it'll it'll be efficient, and it'll, you will know, it it'll drive itself back home. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. If it has a home, <laughs> <laughs> interesting place where does it go then? Um, so, one of the interests you mentioned before about the solar um, solar pa- panel powering stations. Yeah. So if you were to put, we're talking about how much money you're ultimately saving, and you mentioned, I think you said, um, you could be saving tens of thousands of dollars. Um, I don't think I said that. Well, I think oh, no, that, sorry, but over the course of years. So over well, here's, of years. Here, I'll tell you about solar. There's two kinds. There, well, there's more than two kinds, but there's the solar power plants where they make electricity. Then there's the ones on your roof, okay? So if you're talking about a homeowner with the ones on the roof, it now costs, I think, about eighteen or twelve, anywhere from ten thousand to eighteen thousand dollars to do a good homeowner solar uh, system, and it pays for itself in seven years on average in America. Uh, if you're in New York or a few very progressive places, it pays for, like Massachusetts. It pays for itself in less than that, four or five thousand, or four or five years, because they they give you a big incentive grant for mm-hmm. it. Uh, also, if you are able to exercise your uh, your your tax credit, your federal uh, tax credit, same situation. You may, you may be able to get it to pay for itself faster. But the point is that it lasts for twenty five years or thirty years. So. And what they're doing now is they're trying to structure the funding so that you don't have to pay for it at the beginning at all. So either you, uh, either a bank or the installing company or some third-party services pays for it, and they make you pay back the loan, uh, and they, ha- they structure the loan so that your payment and your interest together are less than the amount that you're saving on your electricity. You you know whatever you were paying like say you were paying two hundred dollars a month for electricity every month, now that you're paying the same two hundred dollars you're just paying for your system, and then it's in t- in seven years you're paying nothing, right? Because you've got the system, and it's wow. made, right. So it's a good deal, but uh, with all of these things, it's a bit of a marathon, not a sprint, right? You have to right. get front end loaded, right? But uh, but the the other thing, and that brings me to a topic I was hoping we might be able to discuss if if you if you if you let me. Of and course. That's a little bit about organizations, right? So people, in addition to saving money at home, they want to save money in their businesses, and uh, so uh, so you can save on capital costs uh, very well, uh, doing the same sort of thing on a different scale at your company. And institutions, I want to tell you a story about a, a hospital. I think it was Hawaii. They needed to have a really, they had to replace their old chiller system, uh, in, in it, and it was going to cost millions of dollars, and they didn't have it in their hospital budget. Um, but they had to keep you know, the operating room cool, right? So they, the, 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 something new that's out there now 
is a funding instrument called an ESA, and it's um, an energy service agreement. And what it is is a bunch of engineering uh, engineers at an engineering firm will get together with a financing group who is basically some investors, and they'll create a third-party uh, entity, and it'll buy. It, in this case, it bought the hospital's cooling system, and it replaced the whole thing, and it continued to own it, and it signed a deal with the hospital that it would fix it if it broke, and it would own it for X number of years, I think it's 25 years, and it would send them a bill every month that was equal to the bill they were already paying uh, for for fuel every month anyway. Can I interrupt for one second? Is there an incentive to that company to do that for a hospital or for other is there well, yeah, because the investors are making seven or eight or nine percent, right, on the money. Okay, so but they they structure the payments so that the the you know the hospital's paying interest, but the interest and the principal together are less than the money they're saving on their utilities. Still less, and this may be. <laughs> apologize in advance. A dumb question, but let's say for a hospital, which would require presumably, more energy than another business or another establishment. With the solar panels, if you ha- are there certain levels of solar paneling you would put in depending upon what type of business they're, they're going to be servicing? Yes. You, you put the right size on your roof for, for how much power you're already using. So, yes, a home uses like six kilowatts. A big hospital might use, you know, ten times that amount, right? Uh, it, whatever, and, and also you don't have to cover all your electricity. There are lots of uh, different projects where you maybe cover some of your electricity, and then you just so buy you can the have rest. a backup. You can also have yeah. like a backup generator or a backup something. That... Oh, there's always a backup. Usually, the backup is the is the grid. Usually, the backup is the is the power company, right? Usually, you don't un, you don't disconnect from a power company. Right. In fact. In most cases, in many states, in most jurisdictions, you're required, you don't actually use the power that you generate. In most places, you, you, the power that you generate goes into the power company, and then, you, and then power comes back out of the power company, and you get billed for that. So, but it all equals out at zero, right? Oh, right, <laughs> That's, right. That, you know. Right. <laughs> and then, but also, you touched on another thing. If you're in a remote place, say you are completely disconnected from the power company, yeah, you yeah. can have, there's a whole bunch of backup uh, generators that you can use. Yes. Um, so, again, for listeners out there who are just who are joining us and entering this world of, of clean energy in this age of where we have to do it, but where do you start? So if you were to give, and to our listeners out there, maybe, you know, five steps that they could take, baby steps even, to get started in, you know, in, in getting their act together and, and joining this, this era, what would you suggest would be the best five steps to take? Okay. I think they should start with their home, and I'm going to assume that we're talking about a homeowner, not a homeowner. Not everyone is a homeowner, but I'm going to make that assumption, okay? Okay. So if they were uh, in their home, 
we talked about getting better windows and getting insulation in your house and making sure that it's a well-sealed home. Now, the next step is many people are going, oh, it's well-sealed. I can't breathe in here. My kids can't breathe in here. Mold is going to grow in here. You need something called a heat recovery ventilator. What that does is it brings in fresh air, but when you expel the, the stale air, it retains the heat energy or the cooling energy. Okay, so that's number two. Number three is go for the get that building fixed that way and stop buying gas furnaces and put in a heat pump or a geothermal. But a heat pump is a more affordable thing that you can do for a smaller home or a condo or a small space. Okay. What is a heat pump? What, what is a heat that? pump is like an air conditioning system, but it, okay. because the building is well sealed, it does all the heating and cooling. It's like it's just like one of those little air conditioner units, okay. and it has an indoor box outside. There's one out, a box outside and a box inside. You know when you go in the hotel and it's like a box on the wall and it yeah. blows. It's like that. And so you put some in your living room, some in your bedroom. You know, and, and then you have a, there's an outdoor unit, and it's all. So it would up. it would take care of the cooling and the heating. Yep does both yep and they used to ha there you know there's lots of resistance and slowness in the construction industry to change and they resisted it and it's been working in Europe for in Asia for years and years and so they in North America they demanded that it had to work better in cold weather and so on and so they made a lot of advancements because they wanted to penetrate the market and now heat pumps are the fastest growing uh, heating and cooling appliance in in North America right now they're putting them in all the condos because condos are small spaces it's just a no-brainer right so and building the, the modern condos with really well-sealed buildings and then you said about five things i think electric car has to be near the top of your list because especially in america uh, electric cars are contributing something like 25 percent to our problem so you really need to get into that electric car and there's no reason not to now Now's a good time. Getting, uh, not to um, interrupt you, but how are electric cars well proven? Besides how, all the, how well um, proven are electric cars? I mean, are you saying sort of the history that, like, they've now been around for how many years and right. what is sort of. Oh, the they've been around for about 15 years. Elon Musk has been making electric cars for 15 years and they're the best cars on the planet. They're faster than the gas cars, too. You know, are they really? Yeah, they are off the line. Yeah, they're off. They're faster off the line. And it was funny because there was a report. Like they're now they're starting to have car races with electric cars too, because but they're faster than like than gas cars because of the way an electric car works. It just all of a sudden it just I don't know. It's hard for me to explain it. I don't actually know the lingo. <laughs> <laughs> but they're actually faster. They're like yeah, zero to 60 in three seconds or four seconds, right? <laughs> they actually had to limit them because they wanted them to be safer. They actually had to limit some of them. <laughs> um, back to one of the steps that you said about the heat pump, which was sort of the AC slash heat um, uh, mechanism you could use. Is that solar powered? You can, that can be solar powered? Yes, it can. It's an electrical appliance. It has a little bit of refrigeration, refrigerant in it, but that's sealed in. It's not, it doesn't escape or anything. And that would be a pollutant if it got out, but it doesn't get out because it's sealed in, right? You don't, you don't need much. You just need a little tiny bit. So it's powered by electricity. It's an electrical appliance. 
So as long as your local power plant isn't making their electricity from gas or coal, you're good to go. But if they are, you got to vote out those guys, right? <laughs> so, Bruce, getting back to our question about exactly how will we beat climate change, you were on number four before I asked you the question about the electric cars. Now, what was number okay. five? <laughs> oh, i got to give you a fifth one? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think yeah. the fifth one for everybody is to vote out those guys. I think the fifth <laughs> one is you have to you have to make sure that your government, maybe at the, maybe at the city level, is investing in transit uh, because transit is a huge, um, you know, uh, first of all, a lot, like we said, the millennials, they're not interested in owning cars. They, they want better public transport, right? So that's important because public transport is way more efficient than personal vehicles, right? So make sure that your city governments are, are, are investing in transit. Make sure that your state governments are investing in wind and solar and batteries mm-hmm. and smart grid. We haven't talked much about batteries and smart grid, but you'll hear the old oil guys saying, oh, that wind and solar, the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. Well, that's why the battery thing is so important. They put a right. bunch of batteries in in Australia, and three of the coal-powered states all went down during a storm, and the, they went to the one that had the batteries with the solar, and they flicked the switch the next day, and it worked perfectly. Really? <laughs> but, but, how so, but Bruce, how environmentally safe are the batteries? The batteries for the power plants? Power plants, the electric cars? Well, there there used to be some fires happening, but I think they learned how to do the cooling. The the, the early uh, Nissan Leaf one caught on fire a couple of times, and they figured out how they had to – they changed something to keep the battery cooler so it wouldn't, you know, catch on fire. But I have to tell you, there are way more car fires with internal combustion engines. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, Bruce, we only have a couple of minutes left, but I have a quick question for you. Of all that you've researched, and I mean, you've done, your, your research is tremendous and incredibly inspiring and incredibly helpful. Um, of everything that you've seen, and it's scary, everything that's happening, is there something that sort of not scares you, but is motivating you because of, of what you've seen, is really motivating you to keep going in this direction and keep pursuing this? Oh, well, for sure. I've been asked this question, and the problem is, although I'm a cheerleader sort of guy, I have the reality is all the directions are good, right? But the momentum is not enough. We mm-hmm. need to build momentum. We all need to get on this. We all need to realize that we're in this together. I mean, there is no uh, planet B. That's the famous environmental line. There's no planet B. There's no pla- I don't want to live on Mars with Elon Musk indoors. I do not want to do that. <laughs> I, I, you know, there's, we have to get on this, and we have to encourage our employers, and you know, we have to push our governments and push our – you know, governments don't lead. They follow, really. Uh, and, and we have to – with the corporations, we have to vote with our wallets, and we have to prove to them that we want this thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, that, that's really what we need to do. So I, I can't believe with that that we have about a minute left. It was an absolute honor to have you on tonight, Bruce. Absolutely. I can't thank you enough. Tell us how we can get the book, what the best way, your, your book, The Clean Energy Age, okay, A Guide great. to Beating Climate Change. 
Yes, oh, thank you. Um, I want to extend a pre-Christmas special to everybody because the publisher has extended it. So it's Roman and Littlefield. They're in Washington, D.C., and they have a little promo code that you can use. But you have to, I think, go to my website to get that promo code. So my website is bfnaggy.com, B-F-N-A-G-Y. So you go to bfnaggy.com, you'll find the code right on the first page, right up at the top right corner, and it'll have a little button that says Order Book. <laughs> you <laughs> click on the Order Book, and it'll take you to the Roman and Littlefield site. And you okay. can order the book using the promo code. I did it today. Uh, it's a little clunky. They ask you for stuff you don't want to give them and stuff, but you can order it. Um, if you don't want to go through all of that, you you can forget about the the 30% off. You can just buy it on Barnes and Noble or Amazon or your favorite bookseller. Um, but that's but yeah, R O W M A N, not R O M A N. That's okay. the that's the publisher. So and it's bfnaggy.com. It was. I, I'm so sad our time is up because I have so many more questions. Um, it was an absolute honor to have you on tonight. Thank you so much. Seema, thank you so much for co-hosting tonight. Mm-hmm. And Bruce, I, I really, I, I can't thank you enough for all the oh. information and for and withstanding many of my dumb questions. Oh, um, I don't I, think they were dumb. They were normal. They were the same ones you. I have. <laughs> and you. Um, thank you for having me. And if you want me on again sometime, please just uh, let's let's arrange it. I'd love to have you back on. Everybody, go out and get that book now. Great Christmas present. So use the promotional code now and have a Christmas present ready for people. Bruce, thank you again. Seema, thank you. And we'll see you next week. Good night, everyone. If you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today 